Well, good morning, Sun Valley Church. Welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I am Jeremy Pinch, and again, I have Pastor Rick Whitmer and Pastor John Schubert in the podcasting room. Guys, it is good to see you this morning. Good morning. It's good to see you, too. Thanks, Chair. <laughs> Without fail. What, what, it, what is... Just John. Jeremy wants John's me to respond away. So he see this has I, been his I life. I stare at his, John until he responds. This, this, this is our relationship since <laughs> since he was born. He's yeah. always wanting my affirmation. He goes, John, it's so good to see you. Pause. Pause. Waiting for me to say, Jeremy, it's so good to see you. And if I don't, he just waits and looks like with puppy eyes yeah. and saying, When are you going to say it? Don't you? <laughs> And it works every time. It does. It does. Yeah. yeah. So I, <laughs> so I do it. It. <laughs> it, it. it annoyed John so much when you were, guys were all at Westside that he planted a church just to get away, and then your family came. Yeah. And now you work here. Yeah. And now he's going on sabbatical, and you're going to call him. Yeah. And uh, John, what are you doing today? You know, I think we should make this a video podcast, <laughs> like some of them do, you know? That way we're people gonna... can just see the awkward. Yeah. We should. We should just show John's face as he stares at me and doesn't respond. Just it's a, it's a, just a picture of love, is what it would or be. Or disapproval. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, what people don't see is John's face that says what R.C. Sproul says. What's what's wrong with you people? What's wrong with you people. <laughs> well, today we are getting back to the two ordinances that we. Uh, celebrate in the church today, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, so before we, we jump into those two different things, what is, I guess, what what would be an ordinance? Why do we call them ordinances? I, I call them sacraments. So I don't know, maybe John can speak to the ordinances part. Yeah, I, I can, because uh, in in the Baptist world that that kind of we've all come from, uh, sacrament sounds Catholic, mm. and it sounds like we're associating these two important elements of the Christian life with Catholic footing. And so it's been called an ordinance, and sacramentalism is not what we're talking about. I agree with Rick. I'd rather call them sacraments because of their value to the Christian and, and the Christian life. But I understand why certain groups of people call them ordinances because it's it's not sacramentalism. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we're not saying um, what they're saying when they refer to the sacraments of the church. I, even just saying the sacraments of the church phrase sounds Catholic. Um, we don't mean that. And... Uh, it's so some people just avoid that confusion by calling them ordinances hmm. and ordinances are orders, right? It's a city ordinance. It's a city order that's required of the city's citizens. You must shovel snow from the sidewalk in front of your house. That's a city ordinance. This is called an ordinance because it's an order of Jesus Christ, the, the head of the church that says you must do this in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. You must do this when you bring people into the kingdom. You must baptize them. 
you must follow through on the order of the Lord's Supper also. So that's why that's the idea behind ordinance, the term ordinance versus the term sacrament. Okay. But I'm with Rick on the value of the word okay. uh, sacrament okay. personally. It can it conveys um, uh, it conveys the sacredness mm-hmm. of what's going on, you know, and and it also um, you know I think people shy away from it for the same reason they shy away from the word Catholic Church in the Apostles' Creed. So it, it just requires for us an extra step of instruction, which is worth you know worthwhile for the value conveyed. Um, the Westminster Confession of Faith defines the sacraments. It says, Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits and to confirm our interest in him, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world, and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about sacraments is holy signs and seals. It is signifying something real, something spiritually real that is conveyed to us in a visible way. And it's a seal in the same kind of a way that your wedding ring is a seal. Your wedding ring is not your marriage itself, but it's a a sign, uh, a symbol that's invested with um, covenantal meaning. So if you don't wear a wedding ring... What are you saying? You're, if you're pretty much divorced, and you wow. hate your wife. Wow! And you're a loser. So, or your finger got well, fat. Well, Augustine <laughs> said that these were these sacraments were a visible form of an invisible grace. That's good. That's kind of cool. That's it. Yeah, it's a visible form of an invisible grace. We have the elements of the Lord's Supper, for example, the water of the baptism that represents something about Christ and His people. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I think I think those things are good ways to think of this, um, and those those by the way, in my mind at least, aren't communicated as clearly when you use the word ordinance. Mm-hmm. I, I think sacrament is cement of it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really does in my mind cements the point of the sacrament. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's for it, it seals this invisible grace to the believer and communicates it so clearly um, that you can't miss it. And we always talk about the fact that, that this isn't from us to God, it's from God to us. Yes. It's a, it is that seal um, of God's approval, of God's authenticating um, grace, right? So God has ordained these two things. And, and, and he set his seal upon them. Mm-hmm. And so when we partake of them, we actually should be aware of the fact that something divine is going on, not in a mystical way, not, you know, like the Catholic Church teaches ex operandi operato, which means that they, um, they operate in and of themselves. So it doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you just got drunk last night, if you're in unrepentant sin, as long as you take these things, Boy, you know, grace is going to be conveyed. That's not the idea. Um, no, it it's is, a sign of that. It's a sign of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And it, we definitely have to do heart work in preparation for receiving it, which is what Paul's getting at in you know First Corinthians eleven. Um, but they are actually really um, sacred. And, and doing heart work, uh, which your your terminology to prepare yourself for the the sacraments, either baptism or the Lord's Supper. It is a personal responsibility, but it's also um, um, incumbent upon the, the leadership of a local church to 
prepare the way mm. for yes. the the Christian to experience it at a heart level and not just a rote level. Mm. And so John Calvin made a specific point of associating the word with the sacrament. He would never perform the Lord's Supper or baptism outside of the exposition of mm-hmm. the Holy Scriptures mm-hmm. because those two things go together. Preparing the heart comes by way of the Word. Mm-hmm. So, for example, last Sunday night, we, we, we uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper together as a church during our prayer meeting. That venue doesn't allow for an exposition of the Word, but since I believe what Calvin said about preparing the heart, I did a very quick review of Romans 8 mm-hmm. for the people so that they could see from the word a preparation of their heart to receive the elements. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, hey, we've got some some juice and broken up bread here. Let's why don't we do the Lord's Supper? No. Right. It's it, it avoids the flippancy of the matter. Right. And so you 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 prepare your heart, you uh, examine your heart by the word washing over your soul and then receive the benefit of the sacrament yeah. in that setting. Yeah. So the first sacrament that we have in in line with our statement of faith here is the sacrament of baptism. Uh, now at our church, we believe that baptism is by immersion. It's a believer's baptism. Um, but there's a lot of people who, who would disagree, that, that would say that we should baptize our children, uh, whether they profess Christ or not. Um, why do we stick to this realm here of, no, you have to be saved uh, or profess Christ in order to be baptized? Well, in, in, in I don't want to disappoint you, Jeremy, so I'll just say it, because that's what the Bible teaches. <laughs> <laughs> It was okay. The name of the Next podcast question. was either it was either Voice of the Valley or That's What the Bible Teaches. <laughs> How about this? The Voice of Scripture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're changing our name now. And, and to be honest and fair here, uh, those who embrace infant baptism are brothers and sisters in Christ who love the Lord, some of them more than we do. And uh, it's not really fair to discuss the weakness of their position without them in the room right. to defend that. Right. So, but we're going to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to, to be to be honest, they have a legitimate claim to their position. Yeah. They're not they're not um, ignorant of scripture. Yeah. They just approach it differently than we do, which is why they can come to their conclusions. Um, different than ours so yeah i think that's that's a significant point is 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 they're not just bringing random stuff to the text and saying "Eh, it just seems like a good idea it's not just tradition for them it's more than that. it goes back to a fundamental view of the relationship of the old covenant to the new Mm -hmm. um, particularly when it comes to um the the sign and seal of the mosaic covenant which was circum we know the abrahamic covenant which was circumcision um and how that relates to the people of god today um, as in in their view, the church being the new Israel. Mm-hmm. So they see a, a direct correlation, particularly in Colossians chapter 2, where Paul seems to, on the surface, talk about um, circumcision and baptism in correlation. Um, so there, there are basic underlying... And the important word there is seems. 
Yes. We don't believe that. They used that one on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And so there really is uh, an internal logic to it. And so they would be able to say from their hermeneutic, it, this is as biblical as anything. Mm-hmm. We just disagree with the premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does have to do with hermeneutics. Yeah. Yeah. And, and early in the church, um, you know, we don't have any New Testament examples of believers doing that. The closest thing you could come to is the times when it says that, you know, this person believed and with their whole household, Cornelius and their household, yeah. um, you know, Lydia and her household. Looking at the context of the ancient Roman household and all that entailed, it may have been that there were infants in that yeah, household. Sure. That is an argument from silence yeah. Um, or, yeah. To me, that seems to me, best. and that's just me, but yeah. it seems to be a shaky foundation upon which to build such a significant doctrine. Yeah. yeah. And it did, be, it did become practice very early in church history. So by the second century, there are records of that happening. But where we're coming from is we're saying, you know, church history is not insignificant, but it's never determinative. If it can't be absolutely proven from the text of Scripture that this is required, then we don't have the freedom to do it. So, so wait a minute. We're committed to the text, is what you're saying? Well, uh, Good grief! In which te- which text again? Yeah, <laughs> Textus Receptus. Hey, that's a good point. Can we? <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the subject, can yeah. we take the rest of the podcast and explore that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a subject for a different day. Um, but where, where would we go in, in scripture to defend, um, believers baptism? What would be, what would be some texts that we go to? I'm going to, I'm going to be John for a second. Genesis through Revelation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, the first 66 books of the Bible. I I happen to be in, I happen to be in Acts 2, uh, Peter, preaches the gospel to, you know, a bunch of Jews uh, up at the temple. And right as the church was born, and Peter concludes the sermon, they've asked, what do we do about all these things? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, The baptism came on the heels of what? Repentance. Repentance. Which is, we would understand in the whole of the New Testament, repentant faith. So, in other words, believing. Well, even if it's not associated with faith, it still is a cognitive reality. Yes. You can't repent of things you're not aware of, that that you're not, infants, for example, can't repent. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, it's not just a a spiritual reality, it's a cognitive reality, Mm -hmm. which is part of our concern. You can't repent as an infant. You you can't believe as an infant. Believe Mm -hmm. and be baptized is where we're coming from, scripturally. And it's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. It's it's in the Bible. It is. Yeah. And, and well, look at the Great Bible? Commission. Yeah. The whole the whole foundation of the whole thing got launched because the Great you know, is belief. Mm-hmm. Pentecost was a direct response to the Great Commission. They yep. knew what to do because mm-hmm. Jesus told them. Mm-hmm. He said, "Go make go disciple the nations, teaching them, you know, baptizing them." So these things in are that order related. Yeah. Teaching and baptizing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, baptism is a response, right, of of the faith that we have in Christ. It's a, a response of obedience. A response of obedience, right? And that's another 
argument in our favor for the yeah. matter. It's it's not something that babies are cognitive of, obedience or disobedience. Sure. And so the uh, responding to the gospel is a is a question of obedience, which is why Luke and in, in Acts says that f- coming to Christ is becoming obedient to the faith. Mm-hmm. And so there's that decision point that is critical to the order of um, baptism. And I think what John John and I were getting at with the Great Commission, I'm looking at the text of it right now, and, and in the we would say the order is is teaching them the gospel and then baptizing. The order of the words in the Great Commission is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. But that that comes on the heels of yes. the, the the heading, which is disciple. Mm-hmm. Make disciples. Mm-hmm. And we would we would And look what's at, the first step of making a disciple? Theologically, it's evangelizing them. Come to faith, yeah. right? It's coming to faith. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that infants, you know, the active discipleship process with our children doesn't it doesn't give us the leeway to sit here and say that they are disciples of Christ before they actually follow Christ. Right. We're discipling them to you know pre-discipling them through. And and, and this is another point of of diversion from our you know, paedo-baptist friends, they, they would say that they are mm-hmm. discipling their kids before they come to faith, right? And and there's a way that you could think of that that way. Right. I think that's legitimate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's a difference between being a disciple of Christ yourself yes. and being discipled. Yes. We look, we look at evangelism as a dis- part of the discipleship process, but we would never look at someone we're discipling through evangelism. Mm-hmm calling them to repentance and faith, and yet who hasn't responded in repentance and faith and say, well, there's a disciple. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, so, and, and our, our discussion in Romans 8 last Sunday um, kind of identifies that. Yeah. You're either in the Spirit or you're not. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the Spirit, then you should get baptized, mm-hmm. is what going back to Matthew 28. Yeah. So what would be your, uh, I guess, call to those who profess Christ but haven't been baptized? Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Are there any other options? I mean, what? That's. Is that is? It, I guess would there be a concern for you guys um, if someone has professed Christ for, you know, so many years, mm-hmm. ten years, fifteen years, whatever? Uh, it, would there be a concern for you guys if somebody hasn't been baptized? Yeah, and and. You could say you could ask the same question a different way. I think you could say, um, "Would it concern you if if someone claims to be a Christian but doesn't want to obey Jesus?" Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a major concern. Yeah. This is the first step of obedience sure. for a Christian. And so, okay, so um, it, it's, it's an obedience step to Christ, but why is it so important? Why is baptism so important? Well, let me, because of what we believe about the sacraments, it gets back to what we were talking about, these God-ordained means of grace. It is God intends to do something and commands us to be have something done to us <laughs> as we participate in these holy things that he's instituted that are irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess to put it conversely, um, would it be spiritually concerning for somebody who's a Christian to simply decide, I just am, I, I'm following Christ, but I'm just not going to take the Lord's Supper ever. Hmm. Or I'm following Christ, I'm just 
not going to tithe. I'm, I'm not going to mm-hmm. serve. I'm not going to love the brothers. I'm, in fact, going to sleep with my neighbor's wife. Um, no, you're not in Christ. Obedience is a huge part of this mm-hmm. sacramental. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I say. They are, are participation in the sacraments, the two sacraments. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a huge part of it. And, and we obey by faith that what God says about the sacraments will be true in the application of those things to us. Yeah. That's, what, that's why it's important that we yeah. do these things that God tells us to do. Well, and I think it's important, too, to, to understand what the actual you know baptism means what it symbolizes what it what it's sure. what's take <laughs> siri um she listens in an awfully lot yeah. it actually makes me pretty uncomfortable yeah counseling's the worst when she jumps into a counseling session i'm just like no really everything's confidential yeah <laughs> <laughs> that happens <laughs> but i think i think um understanding what it actually means like it's not just this weird religious you know, ritual, ritual, right? There's actually, there's rich symbolism taking place. Yeah. When you're being baptized and rich nourishment. Yeah. I mean, really when we understand the nature of the sacraments, which is why we need to teach on them so regularly, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? Right. No one has to really twist my arm to get me to the Thanksgiving table each year. (laughs) Right. Um, This is a, is a, an amazing thing to be able to do. Why wouldn't we want to is kind of the, the bigger question. But John's, you know, absolutely at the base level, if you want to really just boil it down to its base level, what then it is an act of disobedience to consciously not do that because hmm. Christ has commanded it. And there's no other way to approach it than consciously. Mm-hmm. You can't decide not to get baptized unconsciously. Unless, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Or I was thinking baptism, if you're an infant, you can unconsciously. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's, that's how you can do it. And just just pray to God that you're not in an Orthodox church. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. The, have you seen those videos, the Orthodox babies? Yeah. Poor kids. Yeah. Child abuse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the next sacrament is the Lord's... Well, do you want to talk about the meaning of, sure. of baptism, yeah. for example, uh, yeah. and the elements? That would make sense. Yeah, jump, jump into that, John. Yeah, so... And we try to repeat this in one way or another when we when we have uh, a baptism at Sun Valley Church, we talk about how it pictures Christ and his his death, burial, and resurrection. And so when you when you uh, identify with Christ in his death, baptism shows that because you're sitting in water, and when the service begins, you're above the water, and then real soon you're under the water, which is an identification with the death of Christ, death, burial, going under the ground. And then resurrection coming out of the ground, coming out of the water. So there's mm-hmm. a visible identification with what Christ went through mm-hmm. in his death, burial, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. And that's intentional. And it's, and it's designed to remind the, the people watching and the baptism candidate of all that God has done for them in Christ. And it's, and it's designed to cement it home for all of us watching those in the water everything. Mm-hmm. Jesus died and rose again for me. Mm-hmm. And and with that comes um, what we would associate normally as regular human beings as what happens when you get in a bathtub. You come out clean. You come out to newness of life, a, a, a new walk, a, a holy walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's intended in the sacrament. Yeah. 
by God. And then the same is true of the elements of the Lord's Supper. The, the broken pieces of bread, the cups of juice are, are designed to represent the broken body of Christ, which Jesus himself said um, to the disciples and that Paul reiterated in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, his broken body, his spilt blood are pictured in the elements themselves. And the beauty of, of those, those particular elements, that particular sacrament, is you can get there from any place in Scripture. Mm. You know, it, Christ and his work on Calvary is what Scripture is about. In the, in, even in the Old Testament sacrificial system, it's there. Yeah. And then, when, of course, when you get to the New Testament, all of Paul's letters, all the apostolic letters are just full of that. Yeah. And so, literally, anywhere in Scripture you can get to the death and resurrection of Christ yeah. The elements of the Lord's Supper, the elements of baptism, the element of baptism. Yeah, yeah. You know what I what I appreciate in our services um, when we do baptism is kind of that final element where we stand as a church. Yes, and we and we welcome those baptizees into the body of Christ. Um, and what does that mean? Because I thought they were in Christ before the baptism. You just said that we welcome them into the body of Christ. Were they not in the body of Christ beforehand, Jeremy? Or were they not? Does baptism get you into the kingdom of God is the question? Or what are, you, what are we saying here? No. Okay. No, no what? No. Baptism doesn't get you into the kingdom of God. Okay. Well, so what did you mean? While we're reversing the questions and asking him, <laughs> I've got one after yours based on okay. yeah, his clarification. Well, it's it's the act of obedience with Christ, right? right? Like that's that active step, which is saying that I I am a part of yeah the visible body the the body of Christ. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. there's an invisible body, and all those members will be in glory one day, right? Yeah. With Christ, they are, you know, under the blood. They're forgiven. They're uh, justified. There's now no condemnation. Therefore, right. right? Uh, but the visible, the visible uh, addition to the body of Christ is what you're talking about. Yeah. There's, there, we are now reaching out and receiving them into the visible body, committing to them, they committing to us to act like family. Right. 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 Yeah, that's yeah. huge. I love that part of our yeah. service also. Yeah. yeah. So if, if Jerry, if, if this doesn't save you, you know, baptism, then why does Peter say at Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. If he doesn't mean that this is what is the basis of your forgiveness. Well, I'm going to turn around and ask you uh, another question. How Rick. about those mariners? How about <laughs> <laughs> um, Peter? Peter also writes in First Peter, chapter three. He says baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Peter was a Catholic. I mean, he was the head of the Catholic Church. I mean, <laughs> I mean good grief. <laughs> what are you, Jewish? Answer my question with a question. Y- yes. yes. Think about it, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Peter. <laughs> do I look like I want malt? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So how Rick, do we answer those things? Rick, Rick, what would you say to that? Yeah, the preposition for the forgiveness of your sins in Acts 2, um, this is where I think you were going with that, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Another translation that actually makes sense in the context and is equally viable grammatically is because of. You know, so we have these prepositions that 
can be translated in different ways dependent on the context. And Peter's talking about repenting and being baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins. Mm -hmm. So it's because of what Christ has done and only by faith, you know, and and we can look at the rest of how the the New Testament um, letters deal with baptism. And Paul, for example, if it was something that was absolutely, like if it was part of our salvation instead of an early step of obedience because of our salvation. Mm-hmm. Paul would have said to the Philippian jailer, um, you need to repent, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized and you will be saved, you and your household. But mm-hmm. what does he say? He says, believe. You know, so we have to look at the, the scope of how all of Scripture handles baptism. Yeah, and I think that's the, called the rule of faith, mm-hmm. right? So even if we were to have no other um, options in Acts 2 uh, or in First Peter linguistically and it actually had left us with the only option being no this is for your salvation for your forgiveness of sins Mm -hmm. then the rule of faith comes into play and the rule of faith is simply taking all of the teachings of scripture bringing them to bear on the part that's a little bit confusing so you Mm -hmm. take the clear parts of scripture which is 95% of Scripture, the yeah. clear parts, and you apply the principles and truths of the clear parts of Scripture, this is the rule of faith, to those obscure parts, the parts that don't make sense or seem to disagree with other right. parts. Right. What is the predominant view of our salvation in Scripture? By works or by faith? It's by faith, mm-hmm. right? This is, <laughs> this is without question. And so if, if Peter comes along and plays the Catholic and we are convinced that he means that the only way to be in heaven is if you get baptized, we've got a theological and doctrinal problem because of all the other scriptures that say otherwise. Literally 99.9% of all other scriptures. And so we can't interpret it that way. But thankfully there are other word options that, that are reasonable. And we don't have to even go there, but mm-hmm. we should go there. That's why there is this thing called the rule of faith. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like when you're interpreting scripture, it's kind of like climbing a mountain in the sense that you you have anchors along the way so that if you fall from a certain point, you know that wherever else you're going, it can't be below that anchor, mm-hmm. right? And so there are truths in scripture that are so in unquestionably clear that whatever any given passage can mean, it can't mean outside the bounds of that. Like salvation by faith. Yeah. 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 So, the second sacrament, the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. this was given to us by Christ. When? When did that take place? On the night he was betrayed. On the night he was betrayed. Okay. And so, what is what the Last is, Supper? The Last Supper. Yep. What is what is taking place when we when we come together and we have communion, you know, once once a month? What's what's happening there? Well, we believe that it's in that moment a few things are happening. Uh, we do not we're not Zwingli Zwingliists who think it's only a time to remember Christ and His death. That's a legitimate option. A lot of solid believers hold that position. Most believe, Baptists. Most Baptists, yeah. yeah. We believe there's more going on than just a remembrance. A lot of these Baptists um, come to the conclusion that it's just about remembrance because Jesus said, 
in this presentation of the elements the first time, do this in remembrance of me. Yeah. But since that, that original statement by Christ, the Apostle Paul wrote a few things, and um, the church fathers have um, examined all of these things, including Christ's words of remembrance, and determined, um, which I think we embrace, that there's more going on than just remembering what Jesus did. There's actually a ministry taking place between God and his people. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the Christian life. It's not, it's not and this is one of the main reasons it's important to be in attendance when the Lord's Supper is being served. It's not okay to only eat twice a year. Uh, it's, it's not okay to only be ministered to twice a year by the Lord. In the supper, we believe and teach that the Holy Spirit comes along and applies the benefits of Christ in a way in the supper that don't take place elsewhere. That's what we believe. Yeah. There is a, a nurturing of faith, a building up of faith, uh, a uh, clarifying of sin, a confrontation by the Spirit, an exhortation by the Spirit, a building up by the Spirit in that moment mm -hmm. that no preacher can reproduce that only happens in the supper. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here's what Calvin said. He says, his flesh, that is Christ's flesh, is the meat, his blood is the drink of my soul. Hmm. That's meaningful. Hmm. His flesh is the meat and his blood is the drink of my soul. That's way more than remembrance. Yeah. This is God is feeding me. Hmm. Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to enter the kingdom. Not talking physically <laughs> at that moment. He was talking you have to take in Christ and Calvin I think rightly said, remembering Christ's sacrifice of broken body and spilt blood by the, by the bread and cup is the meat and drink of my soul. Mm -hmm. It's what strengthens the heart mm -hmm. against sin, um, against neglect. Um, I think it, it's a critical element of the, of the Christian life. Yeah. So... Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, says there's a there's a particular danger uh, for those who would come to the Lord's table uh, in an unworthy manner, right? So in, in 1 yeah. Corinthians 11, 27, it says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be con uh, guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So what is what is he saying? Well, the context there is important because he was he was addressing uh, a, a sinful partying um, during a Lord's Supper celebration. They were they were mistreating the Lord's Supper. They were mistreating one another. The Corinthian church was. Mm -hmm. They were they were not entering into that sacrament in a hallowed manner. Mm. It was literally. Uh, food and alcohol party. And Paul was saying, what are you doing? Yeah. 
you're doing this in the wrong way. You're, you're actually bringing condemnation on yourself instead of benefiting from this sacrament. Yeah. You're actually piling sin on yourselves. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. It was a correcting point that the apostle was teaching the Corinthians. Okay, so the Corinthians were, you know, doing this in, in a partying yeah. atmosphere. So does that does that apply to us today? I mean, how does how does that work for us? We to... try to avoid that. Yeah. When, yeah. when, when, when we <laughs> yeah. present you know, the Lord's like Supper. Me, if you're like me and you've been in churches your whole life that have, you know, I've never been in a worship service that resembles, uh, you know, dr- a, you a know, Corinthian party. It's possible to get okay. drunk because unfortunately most of the churches I've been in or all of them have not used wine in the supper. <laughs> but, you know, there's another aspect to discerning the body because what was the threat of the party? It wasn't just that they were getting drunk and actually living contrary to the gospel as they were commemorating the gospel, okay? But two, what is the church? Is the body of Christ. And Paul chastises the Corinthians because they were coming together in class divisions. Some remained hungry, he says. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because there was no normal workday schedule, you would have some poor believers who were just getting off of work and coming to the table late, and the rich who didn't really need to work like they did, you know, they were, had been feasting for a while. And then they say, ah, we don't have anything for you. And so there's mass discrimination going on. That's the bigger threat to us. Because when we fail to discern the unity and preserve the unity of the body of Christ, and that we come to the table, we're actually failing to discern the body of Christ mm-hmm. and actually pleasing him. So I would say we the, need the, to, the corporate body, the of corporate Christ. body, which is another layer of possible meaning to that. What does yes. it mean to discern the body? I'd say we are guilty of that if we fail to take stock of how are we nurturing or or continuing division within the church, mm. not seeking reconciliation and forgiveness and moving forward in love. So you may have two people in the line coming to the Lord's Supper. In one line, there may be someone who's at war with someone in the other line. They're not seeking reconciliation. In fact, they won't talk to each other. Hmm. And yet they're coming to the same table. That's not discerning the body. And we have to really guard against that. And that's, that gets it flies under the radar a lot of the time. And included in that, and I think a sub-point of what you just said, Rick, is the examination of self yeah. in that time. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, a necessary element of examining yeah. or of come preparing your heart to take the elements to lord am i being obedient in all areas of my life are there relationships in my life that are offending your body hmm. the corporate body do i need to resolve something now um leave your sacrifice at the altar go to your friend jesus said make it right and then come back to the altar yeah and so a very practical outworking of that, um, in, you know, and this is just all used, there have been, and there have been few, but there have been, it's happened before to where I know that I'm not releasing something against somebody else, and I'm not seeking reconciliation at that point, I'm harboring something. And I've actually just needed, in light of, because of the passage you just read, I've actually stepped, stepped away from worship during the Lord's Supper before, and just not taking it that mm. day, because better not to take it. And have to then de- and then deal with the sin first before coming back to the table. Mm-hmm. Then it is to take Th- it. That's the added sin Paul was talking about. Yeah. yeah. And so that's a, a real thing that is an option for believers is if they know they're not repenting, don't take it. Not today. But, but there's a danger there, and that is uh, 
being so circumspect, yeah, yeah. so introspective, yeah. that you never take the supper. Yeah. Right. And, and part of the supper is, uh, part of the reason for the supper is to heal wounded souls. Yes. Don't stand outside thinking, oh, I wish I could come eat. Get in here and eat, Jesus yeah. said. Yeah. You know, take care of your relationships, but but take care of them before the supper. Mm-hmm. And then get in here and eat and be built up, be nurtured by the Spirit, be, yeah. you know, blessed by God. Yeah. It's designed for weak and weary Christians. Yeah. That's what it's for. And I would say as a believer, you probably know the difference between being weak and continuing to struggle with sin versus actively harboring something in unrepentance. Mm. Yes. You know, you generally know the difference. And so that's mm. why those times are, Lord willing, going to be very few and far between. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you go look back on your last year of participation in the supper, in that sacrament, and you can't remember the last time you took the supper, <laughs> you got a problem. Yeah. You, you've... You're missing something. Yeah. yeah, we need this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember reading through uh, uh, Thomas Watson's uh, yeah. the doctrine of repentance, mm-hmm. and he he got on the subject of the Lord's Supper. I was like, I probably shouldn't take the Lord's Supper yeah. ever again. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you just do not read the Puritans. <laughs> You'll never do anything. <laughs> I told do like, not breathe, Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy. Yeah. I don't know if you guys struggle with this, but. Um, like I, I can almost tell you, okay, there's a 50-50 that the, the rest of the day, or at least pretty soon after the supper, I'm going to blow it yeah. in a big way after I take the supper. And I know it's coming like Sunday night. We went to Subway to grab sandwiches after the, you know, the supper and the Lord's Supper because it didn't, you know, fill all the hunger <laughs> physically. And we got, re- we got refused service because we didn't have masks on us. They didn't ask if we'd been vaccinated, which no comment and, you know, other stuff. They just said, oh, you need to leave. I was, I was so mad. And then the did kids. You, did you get close to losing your salvation? No, but I did. But I did. <laughs> I did. My kids started grumbling on the way home. Oh, we're so hungry. I'm like, I'm buying you pizza. Like, how ungrateful can you be? And then Jen's like, you need to watch that you're not putting guilt over the kids. And I'm like, you don't even know. You know, and I, so I blew up at her. And then Let me I, tell you something, woman. Two, two, then two minutes down Highway 24, when the spirit, you know, worked in my heart to convict me, I was like, okay. Guys, well, is yeah. that why you called me and asked if you could reserve the supper <laughs> just to your family? <laughs> I need forgiveness, Lord. Uh, you know, and then to my family, I said, kids, the, the one takeaway, you need to know, this is how quickly someone can sin after taking the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, oh, Dad's a loser. Yeah. And God is merciful. Yeah. But I don't know. Seriously, I feel that dynamic yeah. sometimes oh, yeah. with the supper. Oh, yeah. It's like there's spiritual warfare, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember after uh, after COVID, uh, when we first got back together, just the the sweetness mm. of taking communion together. Um, yeah, it was one of those moments that I, I look back on fondly. And that was more than just an emotional experience. That was a spiritual experience, yeah. and yeah. I mean that in the full sense of the term. Yeah. It's it's it was emotionally wonderful to be together again. Yeah, but what the Holy Spirit did in that first public uh, observation of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper was to nurture his body. Yeah. That's what was going on. Yeah. So there was a double-edged sword that was at work in that service where Christ was building us up like f- finding an oasis yeah. 
at the end of a trek across the desert. Yeah. That's what was happening in that service. Like, here's some water. Yeah. It's like, oh. (laughs) You know, and there were some churches throughout the pandemic who kept serving communion virtually. They would instruct their people. I had someone in our church ask if we could serve virtually. I said, I'm not sure how to do that yet. I can't seem to get the elements to go through the wire to your house. Well, they told people, go back to these these churches. I mean, I I know of some of them who go get a Dorito or something from your pantry and then come to the TV and get the juice or something to drink. And I'm just like, that's a fundamental misunderstanding. When the church is not gathered, you can't serve it. That's why we don't serve it in small groups because it's not the gathering of the church. It's not what, by we the don't elders. serve it in s- small groups. We don't serve it in weddings. youth ministry. We don't serve it in weddings. Yes. This is for the church, period. Yeah. yeah. I regret yeah. in my wedding taking the Lord's Supper. I didn't have a theology. I didn't know you did that, there. or you wouldn't have been hired here. I mean, good so grief. Now, and There's now I've the got tenure. There's still so. time. <laughs> There's still time. No, yeah. I've actually <laughs> offended people before because they've asked me to serve them the supper in. In their wedding, and yeah. I won't do it. I didn't do it at my daughter's wedding. I was yeah. like, I can't do that, honey. Yeah. It would violate your conscience. Yeah. It would this is mine. for the church from yeah. Christ. Yeah. It's yeah, I not remember, for a couple. I remember asking you to do it in our wedding, and you explained it to me. I was like, oh, yeah, that that actually makes sense. Like, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So why did you guys go ahead and take it anyways? I don't understand. Yeah, that. we just wanted to... <laughs> Well, Actually, it was, it was raining so yeah, much. Yeah, God, God was trying to discourage your <laughs> your union. I mean, in all possible ways. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't serve you the supper. He rained on your parade. I mean, if you go through with this, you're going to have a child named Millie. And yeah. let me explain what. Will yeah, happen. yeah. And you will yeah. think, why, Lord? Yeah, you wanted this. <laughs> She's uh, awesome, though. God bless her. Someone yeah. has to. Yeah. Well, church, we hope that this has been an encouraging uh, discussion for you guys as we looked at the two ordinances. We look forward to being with you on Sunday. Sacraments. Sacraments, sorry. We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next Wednesday on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.